Good morning, Andy. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm very well indeed. How are you? Not too bad. Merry um, Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Yeah. Um, thank you for giving us the time. It's Christmas Eve in Manchester. Um, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate you, you, you taking a bit of time in the morning to, to have a chat with me. How, how's the build-up going? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm just looking at your background. I'm looking at my background. <laughs> it couldn't be any like polar opposites. Yours is interesting and mine's just a blank wall. <laughs> you know you can get, you know, you need a green screen. This is just a green screen, Andy. It's not real, honestly. Um, uh, listen, thanks for, for giving us the time today, mate. I really appreciate it. And, um, I, you know, certainly when you've got um, two little ones in the house running yourself, uh, running yourself ragged, I can imagine. You've got a three-year-old and a three-month-old, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hands full at the moment. Um, all the... Uh... You know all the all the fun of uh, getting things ready ready for Christmas. The three year old actually knows what you know who Santa Claus is this year, whereas yep. two they don't quite understand. So it's a little bit more special. It's a very special time of year when you've got little ones. It really is. Um, I sort of envy you. My kids are a little bit older, but then I also kind of don't envy you. I'm glad that I've I've done that that period of my um, you know being a dad and, and, and doing the buddy, the elf uh, thing, elf on the shelf and that you were telling me about and uh, father Christmas and stuff is, is kind of finished. It's kind of in the, in, in the past now, but yeah, it's a great time when the kids sort of are still believing it's still that lovely moment this time of year, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Um, well, listen, Andy, really appreciate you giving us the time today. Um, we're going to talk um, a little bit about yourself, um, about your journey, with AppLearn and of course we're in Manchester today so we're also going to be talking about I guess the um, the software market in the Manchester area um, and, um, and maybe talk a little bit about how um, you know certainly in the last 10 or so years Manchester's become this real you know tech hub for the north um, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that as well. But just to kick us off, Andy, do you want to just give us a bit of an overview for people that don't know, you know, who you are? Can you give us a bit of an overview of, of your background and where you've come from? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I basically, I'm, I'm Manchester born and bred. <coughs> uh, I live in Bury, And uh, I've, you know, I co-founded a company in 2011 called Apple. And Apple and basically they're, they're kind of like a niche uh, software uh, company, <coughs> excuse me, but they, um, and they deliver um, what we call digital adoption solutions. So basically if you think about um, brands like Chanel, uh, Bacardi, Barclays, Lloyds, Rolls-Royce, these are all companies that use our product. And um, many, many businesses around the world are investing in technology at a, at a high rate. You know, 61% of businesses have seen a 500% increase in the amount of technology they use every day at work. So you can see that the growth trend is, is high, that people are investing in technology. One of the biggest challenges around that is driving what we call digital adoption. Yeah. This is helping people uh, adopt that technology to the best of their ability. So our product is really uh, there to measure human interaction with technology. First of all, where do people speed up? Where do people slow down? Where do, they, where do they get stuck? Where do they need help? 
And then we have a solution that will literally integrate into a screen and it will guide them and recommend them through specific um, technologies or specific processes and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, we were founded, we founded in Manchester 2011. Um, we've, um, we've grown ever since and, and now we have uh, US operations. Uh, we've, uh, we have a US v, sorry, VC backed US VC and um, yeah, we've, um, we've, we've, we've grown ever since. Wow, that's a, that's, a, that's a really, really interesting background for the company. And it's lovely to see a business in Manchester that's, that's thrived and, and flourished. So do you want to just give me a bit of an, an overview of that AppLearn story and, and sort of tell me a little bit about your journey with AppLearn then? Yeah, so I've been, I've been working in the SaaS, uh, many people will call it the cloud software space now for the last 15 years. Uh, as I say, Apple was founded in 2011, you know, three years after the economic uh, crash happened, and um, which was lovely. We all felt that. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, given the fact that we're going through some really tough economic times at the moment, you know, <clears throat> Apple is probably uh, a bit of a shining light in terms of uh, demonstrating the fact that actually in, in economic challenge, economically challenging times, they're actually opportunities to build and grow great companies. And uh, Applin, you know, was, 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 a, was a clear example of that. Uh, we, um, we, uh, Applin actually grew out of another implementation company called Quicker Solutions. And, um, and yeah, it was basically an idea that I pitched to our CEO and um, we decided to form a new co and uh, grow that company independently. Uh, we did uh, we did fantastically well in in our first year. We 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 hit over a million in revenue, and uh, we our first three deals were in Canada, <laughs> which makes <laughs> no sense whatsoever. If you ask me why, I I, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, the first three deals were in Canada, and um, yeah, it was it's it's been an amazing journey. It's been challenging as any business is. And, uh, but, um, you know, we've learned a lot throughout that time. And, uh, you know, from my perspective, it's a great, um, you know, great, the, the potential of Apple is huge. I mean, we, we at Apple and we have a, we have a, an, an ambition and a goal to be a billion dollar tech company. So every day that we go to work, that's what we think about. Um, not, we're not completely, you know, money focused and money motivated, but it is good to have um, an underlying ambition, financial ambition, as well as, you know, uh, a philosophical and social responsibility ambition, I guess, uh, in trying to help people better uh, engage with technology. So we have both of those two things and they, they help shape us when we, uh, when we put our shoes on for work every day. And, and talking about financial ambition um, and uh you know where where you were and where you are now <clears throat> you know first client in canada to working with brands like chanel and bacardi and rolls royce and lloyds i mean that's really you know uh to look back on that you must be really really proud and you also achieved vc funding last year is that right yeah so uh, an institutional investor uh in in california invested in us um we'd been through multiple funding rounds prior to that uh, and uh, yeah, I mean that was um, that was huge. It's all about 
it's all about growth. You know, it's it's about learning. And yeah. um, you know, we we learn we've learned all the way through this process and actually now we're learning again, you know, because every time every time you achieve new funding rounds uh, and you know the, the bar gets raised, the expectations are higher. Yeah. Time, you know, the VC themselves put they 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 place responsibility on you and accountability that 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 makes you grow. And uh, yeah, it's 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 exciting, really exciting. And so, you know, when you when when we talk about um, where you're based, you're in Manchester. You're Manchester born and bred. So, <clears throat> I guess it wasn't an intentional an intention to to build in Manchester, but you've ended up here in in one of the biggest tech hubs in the UK. What what do you think the reasons that are that that Manchester has been so successful? in the last sort of, you know, 10 or so years? I think, <clears throat> I think it's intent and desire uh, at first and foremost. I think uh, a lot of companies, uh, sorry, a lot of um, cities, they almost need to find their own identity and build, build their own identity. And if you look at technology in terms of growth, you know, on an industry level, it's crazy, right? You know, yeah. some of the fastest growing, uh, the fastest growing industries in the world are, are tech, right? You know, you've got you've got emergencies in fintech, which are, which are amazing, um, but you've also got uh, you know other technologies vying for position and challenging some of the big boys. So, I think it, a lot of it was to do with identity. I don't think it was luck. Uh, I don't think that we just suddenly happened upon this. I always think I always think about. I don't know whether this is right, true or not, but I always think about. Uh, Manchester being to London, what Chicago is to New York, uh, in as much as the kind of Chicago is smaller than New York. New York's the big juggernaut, so to speak. Uh, and I feel the same about London. But what I think that London does is it's quite saturated. And if you look at technology, you don't have to be on someone's doorstep. I mean, COVID has proven that, right? So, oh, you, COVID. Who had who had twenty minutes before we mentioned COVID? Oh, I know. You know what? We've got a swear jar at Christmas. We've got a COVID swear jar. And if you mention COVID, you've got to put a pound in it. Um, I will lose that 100%. But, um, but yeah, I mean... You're right, though. You're right, though. COVID has, you know, really magnified the need for technology and, and I guess demonstrated that you don't need to be on your doorstep to... You do, no, you. No, you don't, and 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 that's why I think London. If you look at London, is a you know a strong financial um, you know financial institutions centered around Canary Wharf. Don't get me wrong; there are there are sort of there are areas of London that 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 got a lot of tech companies in there, and um, I think that you know there are, there are four jobs for every one developer uh, in London. Was the last thing I read. So <clears throat> don't get me wrong; you know there's a big there's a big tech presence in London, but I think that Manchester represents an opportunity for companies that are smaller to come and grow because it's difficult to grow in London. You know, I, my, yeah. I, I have a friend who owns a, a resourcing business in London. He's telling me that his rent was, was, was six and a half thousand a month. And the, honestly, our kitchen at Applin is bigger than his office. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and we, pay, we, we pay half or less than that. So I think that it's an opportunity to, to do that. And I, I also think one of the reasons as well is that I think the councils have done a great job uh, in incubating or building these incubation uh, hubs. If you look at Media City, I mean, 
what a great place to go and work and grow a business. But then you look at the, the I don't know if you if you've ever heard of the Sharp Project. Um, yeah, that's where that's where you guys are based, right? That, yeah, Atham, you know, we, we started off in the centre, but the reality is, is that we weren't seeing any customers there. I mean, our first three customers were in Canada. I, in fact, we didn't even meet our first customer uh, till, till after 11 months, which is strange, <laughs> right? Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, you know, um, we, yeah, we're at the Sharp Project. And the Sharp Project, for those people who don't know, is um, it's like a tech incubator. It's like a tech hub. I think, I don't remember the exact number, but there are many, many businesses in there and they can collaborate, learn from each other, network, all of those things. And I think that those incubation hubs are, 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 proving, are proving really successful as well. So, um, yeah, I think there's a number of different reasons. Yeah, and, you're, and the Sharp project is just based outside of the city centre by, you know, two or three miles, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's the old Sharp factory. Um, and I guess it was the first, is it, was it the first real kind of incubator for, for media, especially? <laughs> before um you know before media city actually i think it was the other way around i think oh, was media, it? media city was first but i might be wrong in this so this is you know, i'm going to say this live on the podcast but don't quote me um my understanding is that media city is in salford yeah so anybody that would pay business rates would pay uh, you know taxes whatever would pay them to salford city council not manchester city council that's right yeah 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 well, I don't think that sat very well with Manchester City Council. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it didn't so, really, no. So, so you think it's so Manchester City Council are thinking, well, well, our tech company's going over there. Um, but anyway, look, you know, that may, may or may not be the reason why they set up the incubators, but they're absolutely fantastic places for organisations to grow and learn. And, and um, if, you, if, if you were to give, give advice to you know, city leaders in, and I think actually, to be fair, I think places like Leeds and Liverpool, um, you know, maybe Newcastle, Sheffield to a certain extent, they have their own little hubs, don't they? They have their own little tech hubs. And you hear more and more often about uh, people that worked in the city centre of London and have moved out to the, you know, whether it be Bristol, Bath, Brighton, traditionally, they're now coming to Sheffield, they're coming to Leeds, because it's a cheaper way of life, you can buy a house. You, and that is that, that is that really the future for, for the sort of smaller northern hubs then to grow even more? <clears throat> I think infrastructure is, is, is huge, uh, and which is what we're talking about, right? You yeah, know, we're, we're talking. If you, look at, um, if you look at most of these hubs, the, 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 the initial thing is, it, it, it is almost like a more cost-effective, cost subsidised uh, area in which to grow your tech company. I mean, um, for example, the Sharp Project, I, I believe, was or is subsidised by, by the council. Therefore, the rates are not as expensive as they would be if you wanted the same space in the centre. Uh, so infrastructure is important, but infrastructure alone is not going to make a successful software company or successful digital business in general. Um, you know, there, there, are, uh, there are a lot of examples of, uh, uh, of, of entrepreneurs, young, um, young tech entrepreneurs, where they have great ideas, great ambition, great motivation, great energy, and they go in uh, they, and they, they set up these companies, which are, which are amazing, and, and then they struggle to grow. You know, they'll, they'll sort of get to 10 people, 11 people, 20 people, and then they'll struggle to grow beyond that. And I think that there's a re the reason for that is, is more about the ecosystem that is not just infrastructure, 
It's about can they lean on other entrepreneurs uh, that have experience around how to structure your business, how to scale your business, how to fund your business, uh, where to get that funding from, things like that, which are vital. So I don't think that uh, by any means we've cracked it. You know, I, I think that there is a lot to be proud of in Manchester. And I know that some of these tech hubs are trying to create that ecosystem, uh, but it is difficult, uh, you know, because entrepreneurs uh, by nature of their own design are off wanting to grow their own next big thing. Yeah. But I think that it's not insurmountable. I, I spend a lot of time speaking to other tech entrepreneurs. I speak sometimes speak at, at tech conferences <clears throat> in Manchester when when we when we didn't have uh, as much of an issue meeting. Yeah, and, um, it's a good opportunity to network there. So, yeah. what what's the best what's the best advice then that you would give to a, a startup entrepreneur then, based on your experience and what you've you've seen with AppLearn and and, and, and yeah, what, what would be the thing that you would say to somebody who's starting up? I think that you have to, you have to, we, at Apple, we have these, we have these um, five guiding um, principles that we sort of um, live by. And, um, and one of them, the first one is called always learning. And uh, I think that as, a, as an entrepreneur, you have to always be inquisitive, always learn, open-minded, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, I think as soon as you start becoming the center of your own universe and, all, and you're always right, you're in trouble. So from my perspective, I think that um, being open-minded and always ready to learn, I'm, I, I, you know, every day I learn something new. I'm fascinated by listening to people that have been there and done it. I, I watch a lot, of, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I read a lot of, um, I, I actually read a lot of audio books uh, rather than podcasts, uh, sorry, rather than physical books, but nonetheless learning and, and, and applying that. So I think that, you know, I think that that would be one of, one of the biggest things. And um, the other thing would be having a perspective on what your end game is. I think it's really easy to look at a company and be swept away by a, a cool idea uh, but I think you also have to have, an, have a view. We, we call it going to the moon. Right? If you know you're going to the moon, that's great. We've, we've set this ambition, this target, right? This is where we want to get to. And then we work back from there and say, well, we're here today. We're going there. Um, what are the steps we need to take to get there? Yeah. And, and <clears throat> a, a part of that knowing you're going to the moon is, yeah, it's setting goals. It's setting uh, you know, aspirations. But it's also about understanding what your business should look like when it gets there. And that's important, right? Because, the, you know, how, um, like, if you think about industry recognized revenue models, for example, like, not a lot of people would look at the SaaS, the SaaS market and say, well, do you know what? I know how I should price my products so that the industry recognizes the revenue model that I've built. And therefore, I can subsequently get funding to grow my company. What a lot of people do is, what do we think people would want to pay? And what does our, how do our competitors price? And kind of look at it like that. But if you, if you have a perspective of what your company should look like, then you can grow and navigate towards that desired outcome. And yeah. uh, for me, it's, it's having a perspective on that. And, and talking about then, you know, funding, you, you've been through that process yourself. Um, how does how does a startup go about attracting that funding? 
I think it, it depends on where they're at uh, in terms of um, in terms of the size, uh, you know, and, and in terms of um, you know current revenue. You know, if they're if they're at early, really really early stage, um, then then obviously you know you, you've heard about the the friends and family round, uh, you know, really early doors. Um, but if you look at things like crowdfunding, uh, you know, sites like Crowd Crowdcube and and things like that, they will actually, in some respects, they would match uh, a lead investor on an early on an early stage business. So you can you can find funding that way. I think networking uh, is vital. It's very difficult at this moment in time. I think somebody should set up a an entrepreneurial network, virtual entrepreneurial networking platform. If someone hasn't already done that. I want some royalties. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure they already exist, but um, I'm, not, I'm not actually part of one at the moment. But yeah, I think um, I think networking is um, is important, and um, you know we did a lot of sort of um, angel investor pitches, like speed dating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was hilarious. It was like speed dating, but speed investors. But uh, and then and then you get and then you you know when you get into the many millions uh, of investment. And dilution and um, you know what have you then you get into towards your vc rounds and stuff like that but you know in order to do it a lot of the time the management team and the uh, experience that you've got around you is is vital because uh, you know when investors are looking at investing in your company they're looking at risk mm. they basically it's risk versus reward all the time mm. yes your company promises amazing things uh, but the easiest bit is having the good idea. The most difficult bit is executing it. Yeah. Actually, um, in order to execute it, do you have the people and the experience that you need? And that's why building a strong management team is important to that. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the management team, actually. And, and you know, where, where, do you even, uh, where do you even start with that? But I guess through that networking, do, do, you, do you sometimes find the investors will suggest people that you should higher or is it about going out to the open market and just getting lucky yeah i mean it sometimes it's about hiring um you know like but it depends on where you are in your in your growth like could you afford you know could you afford a you know a a, a proper cto an experienced cto you know they're probably going to cost you 150 to a quarter of a million in salary can you afford that today you know for some people Probably not. So, uh, so the reality is that actually, if you look at experience, you could set up an, advi- an advisory board where actually, and that's non-paid and uh, or maybe paid a bit, uh, and then you in, you invite other entrepreneurs to to be part of that if you can do. We yeah. did that at Applin. Uh, we had you know serial entrepreneurs on our advisory board. Uh, that is that helps a lot because they know you've got that, that, that wealth of experience to lean on. And it's not a massively uh, costly exercise to do it. Obviously, you have to have the network to do it, but it's not costly. Um, hiring is, yeah, it was one, you know, hiring the experience in. Typically, that happens a little bit later uh, down the line in terms of, like, your, your other investments. Um, yeah, and, 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 you know, asking something like non-exec directors and things like that, you know, um, to build to build out that management team, but it is it is really important because from a funding perspective, if you have a really weak management team, um, it's just a huge risk. So 
it's it's interesting when you're talking about that 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 management team dynamic one of the things that we're hearing a lot from from people at that sea level is that um you know with the the situation in the world we're at at the moment the fact that everybody's embraced more flexible working sea level people we're now talking to who don't want to necessarily do another career they don't want to do another you know 12 to 18 months at another organization they want to work for two or three companies at the same time simultaneously and do it on a fractional basis so we've, we've launched a cxo as a service whether it be a cto a cio a ceo even a cfo if you want to bring somebody in and you can't afford to pay that 150 200 pounds a year but you can't afford to wait to bring somebody in um, you know, we can we can parachute people into organisations on that fractional basis. Is that something that you see yourself, um, you know, being embraced more in the future? I think I think it will be. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the, I think the I, I do I do. Yeah, I, I think that uh, you know that that advice is is not just valuable in terms uh, you know in terms of raising. Uh, funds it's also valuable in terms of how to structure and grow your organization um you know at Appleham we I, I businesses grow like mushrooms right so they're, they're, they're kind of like they grow out and then and then they shrink and then they grow out again and then they shrink and then they grow out again so what we saw with our you know the amount of employees we would have we'd have like you know a certain amount of employees and then as the business aligned and implemented new processes it would kind of come down a little bit and then it would right. go growth stage and then it carry on and I was fascinated by that, <clears throat> and because um, you all, you everyone just thinks, oh, you just grow like that. But the reality is, is that um, you know the people that you have on day one are not necessarily the people you'll have on, your, you know, in your tenth year, uh, because they'll move on. But also because, from a capability perspective, as a business gets bigger, you know, people you need different experience and skills. So I think that 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 type of model is is powerful, not just for raising funds, but also for helping shape how businesses grow uh, in general. So yeah, I think um, I think it absolutely is. I think that um, also, you know, obviously parachuting somebody in is important um, in that in that capacity. It's nice for them to grow and and, and really feel like they they want to see this business be successful. And uh, those types of relationships will be fostered over time. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it will be interesting to see how that uh, how that grows. Um, yeah, I think absolutely that model is something that's that's going to happen without a doubt. And so, so what's next for you then, Andy? Well, I'm I'm um, I'm still uh, still very much uh, part of Applin uh, and and the future and the growth of the of um, of Applin. and um, you know that so that's that's what I do. Uh, you know, um, each and every day, you know, you you you're focused on that. Uh, also, on a personal level, I, I, I also advise other uh, organisations. So um, I and I also speak at uh, events and things like that. Um, but you know, I think if if I look at it from my perspective, you know, people are going to look at this current economic situation and they're going to be really down about it. You know, I've spoken to other entrepreneurs across the pond in the US, and actually, they. They see an op- they see opportunities, you know, where the, you know we're we're going through an economic shift, and yeah. you say, oh no, you know, we should all be down. And if, actually, if you read the if you read the news every day, I'm, I wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess I guess you know that's 
that, that that's the type of thing that's being put out there. So you wouldn't um, hold it against people for feeling like that. But the reality is that actually, um, you know, there is opportunity in uh, this huge economic shift. And, um, you know, in the future, I fully intend on, um, on potentially building another app and, 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 and growing again. But, um, but that'll be after we've, we, we, you know, we fully focus on, uh, on Applin and uh, its goals. Good, good. Um, Andy, really, I appreciate your time today. Thank you for, uh, for speaking to me and uh, sharing loads of insight there about your background, your experience, everything that's gone on with Applin over the last 10 or so years and, um, and talking a little bit about Manchester and, and shining a light on the, uh, on the city and uh, a region that's, that's, you know, has prospered. Um, it's interesting as we look out here, you know, a lot of the buildings that are still going up, the cranes are still up and everything. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this city kind of changes, evolves, adapts, dare I say it, pivots. Um, and, and, and I'm sure that we'll, we'll get through this. It will pass and uh, we will become, um, you know, prosperous again. Without a doubt. I mean, I, I am so excited to be a part of the Manchester community, um, specifically the fact that my background is in technology. You know, I've, I've worked in San Francisco, New York, uh, and, and they're infectious types of environments, you know, and um, Manchester is growing into that. And uh, it's, an, it's going to be an exciting few decades, that's for sure. Excellent. Well, listen, on that note, uh, we will uh, we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much again for your time, Andy. Uh, Merry Christmas to your family um, and all your friends. And I hope everyone stays safe and well. And uh, listen, we'll, we'll stay in touch and we'll see you, I'm sure, in the new year. We'll get, we'll get together for that beer, hopefully. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Take care. Cheers, Andy. Thanks, mate.